want to welcome you to the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. This is going to be good. Pastor Kyer brought a powerful word this week that gave us a reason to fortify our faith, titled No Place Like Hope. Let's tune in. to give a shout out to Pastor John because when I have the mic, I like to um, embarrass him. No, just kidding. Um, No, I just want to give honor to my husband, to the man of God, to Pastor John. You are an amazing man of God. And I just want to tell you how much I honor you openly. I want to tell you how much I honor you, how much I respect you, um, how much um, I, uh, I follow you, I watch you. And it truly is a privilege to be able to serve in the house of the Lord with you, but it's a privilege to be called your wife. It is a privilege. I am blessed among women, and I stand on your shoulders this morning, so I appreciate you um, speaking life and speaking truth on, uh, over me to the point where I, would, I will stand and declare the, 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 the word of God. Amen. Thank you, Pastor John. So, um, yeah, God is good. Man, I have a message that's burning in my heart. My notes don't necessarily reflect that. Um, It's hard to write down. (laughs) It's hard to, it's almost like, so describe fire. So what what was it like? It's like fire, shut up in my bones. It's like literally like to be able to place that on a page, sometimes it's hard. So I'm basically saying all that to say, fasten your seatbelts, we're going to go on a ride together. We're we're all in this. Get in the car, shut the door. Come on, let's go. Here we go. So um, Pastor John's been talking about the orphan spirit. Uh, Man, so good. This series has been so good. One of the scriptures that he has been um, talking about over and over again, Philippians 3 and 10, and it says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. You know, to know someone is completely different than an acquaintance. Like, you can say you met someone, but you can't necessarily say that you know them. There's been many times somebody will say, oh, I see that you're friends with such and such on Facebook. You know them? And I'm like, "Uh, no, I don't really know them. So a lot of times, like, a lot of times we call people our friends or we're connected to people, but we don't really know them. But this scripture is talking about that I may know him. It's like a relationship, a friendship, a trust, a, a relationship that's built on trust. If any of you can think about relationships or friends that you have that are really, really good, dear friends in your life, a lot of you will think back on times that they've been in your life, in hard times, in good times. It's literally like a, a friend. It's somebody that you know, somebody that you walked hand in hand with. And Paul is saying that. He's saying that I may know him in every season of my life, whether I have a lot or whether I have a little. Like, I want to know him. I want to know his voice. I want to know his character. I want to know, like, oh, I know what my friend Jesus would say. This is what he would say at this point. To know someone, it's almost like you can sometimes speak on their behalf. A lot of times people will say, oh, well, God told me this. And I'm like, that doesn't sound like him because I know him. You know what I mean? It's like if you know him, a lot of times when you're presented with the truth, I mean, with a lie, you'll be like, that's a lie because I know the truth. Amen? Amen. So to know him is like a friendship. It's a kinship built on trust and relationship. And pastors have been really teaching us that through the orphan um, spirit, just getting rid of that orphan spirit, getting, getting away from um, just knowing the surfaceness of God, saying I'm a Christian because I have a cross on my necklace, but literally like knowing him, having a relationship with him. Amen. I remember this is a very dear uh, memory that I have in my life, uh, our, our 
um, kids, Judah and Heaven, they were three and five at the time, and we lived in the hood. All right, boys and girls, tell you a story. <laughs> Judah and Heaven was three years old and five years old. We lived in the hood. I'm talking about like homeless people knocking on the door, like, "Hey, you, can I get five dollars?" And it's like, "And no." <laughs> Ten o'clock at night, two you know men standing at our door saying they're with a cable company and they're here to check our cable. It's like. When you're living in the hood, you gotta, you gotta be on a swivel. Like, you gotta be like ready at all times, always alert. Like, don't take a nap. Don't like be alert at all times. And so it got to a point where our kids were noticing, like, you know what? It's, I, I, we need to move. <laughs> like, yes, yes, we do, babies. We need to move. And so I remember our kids talking to us about that. And I'm like, pray, ask Jesus. Ask Jesus for a new house. Like, I really meant it, but I, I, I said it in passing. Like, well, baby, we gotta pray. Let me tell you, every night, every single night, and Jesus, please give us a new house in a nice place with nice people. Every night, I mean, without ceasing, to the point where I told my husband, Pastor John, I said, look, we got to do something. We got to start doing something because our kids are praying without ceasing. They are praying and interceding. So we need some works to go along with our, with our kids' faith. Because our kids had the faith at the time, and we had to have some works to go ahead and go along with the, with the faith, because faith without works is what? Yeah. Yes, I don't want my kids' faith being dead. So I'm like, babe, we got to do something. So in faith, we start talking to the real estate agents, talking to the, to the loan people, and in faith, we moved into a new house, y'all, like Jefferson, moving on up. Yeah, it was like that, <laughs> moving on up. And we were like, we walked in like him, too. We were like. <laughs> it's like, Bye. But I'll never forget the last night that we spent in the hood. It was late at night. Everything was packed up pretty much. There was like a bunch of boxes. Like the house was pretty much empty. Like the next day we had a plan. Our friends were just going to show up with the truck. Everything's getting loaded. Dude, we're out of here. It's our last night. Kids were placed, put to bed. I was settling in. I'm getting in bed. I'm noticing, where is, where is my husband? He's not in bed. So I went looking through the house for him. And I found him in a corner room. It was a five-bedroom house. I found him in a corner room on sitting on a box, and he was crying. I mean, he was just crying out to the Lord, just crying. And I'm thinking, dude, we're supposed to be, like, turning up. Like, we're moving. <laughs> Why are you crying? And I remember him looking at me, and it took him a while to be able to articulate how he felt. But he said, I have prayed for years I've pleaded the blood over every wall of this house every night. I checked every door, and I prophetically, I would say, Lord, seal every, every area, every crack. God, I pray. I plead the blood of Jesus Christ over every, every nook, every cranny. He said, every night I would pray, and I would press into the Lord. I would seek the Lord. He was on guard, and he was literally like on guard talking to the Lord day and night because we live in the hood. And he said, so what's going to happen when we're blessed abundantly and we're living in a wonderful beautiful big house with nice people in a nice neighborhood that you don't hear anything but the frogs like what do you he's like what's going to happen to my heart and he literally was concerned with the condition of his heart in the season of overwhelming blessings God I've known you and I've clung to you in a way that I've never clung to you before in this area in this season of need. But what's going to happen when you take me out of this season of need and you place me in a season overflowing with milk and honey and abundance of blessings? What will my heart do? Will I still trust you? 
Will I still seek you? Will I will still pray? Will I still cry out to you the way that I've cried out to you so many nights before? And I was blown away. I'm like, I never thought about that. And he gave me the revelation that Paul said. Paul says that I may be content in all things, whether I'm abound or whether I am, I'm in lack, that I, I want to be in content in all things. Who would think that you'd have to learn to be content in blessings? Who would think that you would have to learn to know how to trust and seek after God in a season of overwhelming blessings? My first thought is, yeah, I'd be like, hallelujah, hallelujah, praise God, yes, I'm blessed. But a lot of us don't, aren't like that. A lot of us, our heart initially will use that blessing as a floating device. And before you know it, we have floated so far away from the presence and the need of our Savior and our God because why? We're so blessed. God, I haven't thought to cry out to you. I haven't thought to pray. I haven't thought to thank you. I hadn't thought to compliment you because I'm so full and blessed right now. Wow, who would have thought that you would have to learn how to be content in all seasons? My first thought is, yes, of course, I want to learn how to be content when I'm in lack. But, yeah, I need to learn how to be content when I'm, in abound when I'm abounding. What a thought. And when Pastor John explained that about how moving from that house was very significant for him because it was taking him from a different season of learning how to still cling to God, but in a different way. Amen. I want to talk really briefly about delayed gratification. I remember we had this friend. He was this really smart scientist, and he was talking about how important it is for us parents to raise our children knowing about delayed gratification. Delayed gratification is something a lot of us don't teach our kids. Like, listen, like, uh, ask grandma. Ask your grandma or your grandpa or who, gram, whoever. Be like, so how many miles do you have to walk to school? Six miles in the snow. And when I got there, I walked six miles back home in the snow. Like, I they'll tell you stories. I mowed lawns for six months so that I can buy that motorcycle or that motorbike or whatever it was. But the thing is that what I've realized is that our grandparents and the people of old learned and knew what delayed gratification was, but it's something that we're not teaching our children. It's literally like we're giving them expensive opportunities and expensive uh, gifts without any work or any labor or any hope or any work whatsoever. It's just like, congratulations, you've arrived. Oh, why, thank you. Without any steps. It's like, congratulations, you are here. Oh. Oh, thank you. Okay. Congratulations. You are rich. Oh, 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 okay. I mean, think about the lottery winners that win the lottery. Some of them, like, had you guys ever watched those stories? I watch the stories all the time about you would think winning the lottery is going to be, oh, this is going to be amazing. And some of them are like, I regret the day I ever won the lottery. Families start acting crazy, people trying to shoot them and rob them, people scamming them, people come out of the woodworks, all of a sudden their kids are acting crazy. Why? Because there was no work, there was no delayed gratification to prepare your heart for the season of abundance. A lot of times, we don't realize how important it is to hope. We don't know how important it is to have a need. We don't know how important it is to walk through a season of lack because there's something that's being built in us that's going to take us further than we think. When we get there, how will the condition of your heart be? 
Will you be like Judah, who asked for Papa to buy this expensive robot, and a week later, we found it, like, upside down on a floor somewhere? Why? Because there was no delayed gratification. I want it. Congratulations. You got it. Good job, Papa. <laughs> James 1, 4 through 5, it says this, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, it worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect, entire, wanting nothing. Being perfect and entire and wanting nothing happens in the waiting. Why? Because patience, while you're waiting, while you're hoping, while you're praying, while you're clinging to God, patience is moving throughout you, filtering out what needs to be filtering out, going through your mind, going through your emotions, going through your soul, building you up, um, maturing you in areas you didn't even know you needed to be mature. Why? Because perfect work is happening in you because patience is having time to work. A lot of times we don't realize God's not interested in just making us smile all the time. Why? Because he's a good, good father. A lot of times he's like, no, you need to wait. No, you need to work for that. Yes, but not now. This is what you need to do to earn that. This is what you need to do to walk up to that. Right now, you're not ready to drive the car, heaven. Right now, you're not ready for a phone, Judah. Not right now. There's something that needs to be perfected in you first. A lot of times, because we lack patience, we throw away our hope. And a lot of times, when we lose patience, we lose hope then we settle. You ever think about that? Because you decided to lose patience, you no longer was able to hope. And because you weren't able to ever hope for anything better, anything good, anything wonderful to happen in your life, you just settle for whatever. Whatever guy will like me. Whatever lady will say yes. Whatever job that will take me. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking me. Thank you. Because I have no patience and I have no hope. Therefore, I have no expectation. Therefore, I settle in every area of my life. Why? Because patience is like, hey, I had so much more work to do in you before you decided to put me down. There was so much more I wanted to perfect in your heart, in your mind, in your maturity, in the way you talk, in the way you speak, in the way you represent yourself. Patience is having a what? A perfect work. There's so much that patience wants to do in and through us, but give patience time to do her work so that when you go, you know what you deserve. You know who you are. You know your worth. You know your value. Why? Because you've hoped for something greater. You've hoped, you've had a greater expectation instead of just settling. The title of today's message is There's No Place Like Hope. There's no place like hope. There is no place like hoping upon the Lord. There's no place like holding on to the hem of his heart garment. There's no place like seeking and pressing in and, 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 and going after, hard after God, pursuing God for something greater. There's no place like hoping in the Lord. I will never, ever forget the position of my heart when the doctors looked at me and told me my 18-month daughter will just make her comfortable. They had literally given up on my baby. They had literally said, there's nothing more we can do, but they decided to tell me we can make her comfortable. Oh, you should have saw me. I, I swear my name was, uh, what was that guy? Shazam. Was that oh, uh, <laughs> superhero guy, Shazam or Flash or whatever. 
I bolted out of that room. I went walk, running through the halls of the hospital looking for a chapel because I, need, I knew I needed to push. I needed to be away from the doctors. I needed to be away from the family members looking at me. It's almost like, you know how they, they, back in the day they used to hire the mourners? Like, we'll mourn with you. Oh, we're so sad. Let us hug you. No, I wanted to push away from everyone that would agree with that report. I ran through the halls. I found a chapel, and let me tell you, I swear, I was like the lady with the issue of blood that grabbed the hem of God's garment, and I'm telling you, I pursued, and I prayed, and I cried out, and I pressed, and I interceded, and I sang, and I worshiped, and I pressed into him like never before. Why? Because I had a dire need, and I hoped for something greater. I said, God, I hope that your report is different than the doctor's. I hope that, God, there's something more that you can do. I hope, God, that you're not giving in the throwing in the towel because they are. I had a greater hope. And because I had a greater hope, I felt God in the room like never before. Let me tell you, I swear that if I would have opened my eyes, I would have saw Jesus standing there with me saying, press in. I got, they, they've given up, but I haven't. I swear if I would have opened my eyes, I would have seen the, seen the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings, Emmanuel, standing in the room listening. Listening to my prayer, I swear I would have saw him. But I've never felt a presence like that when I didn't have a need like that. Why? Because there's no place like hope. There's no place like standing in the place of need saying, God, I need you to come through because no one else can do this but you. There's no presence that gets ushered into the room when you cry out to God from desperation. Because if you're floating around on the, on the floaty called blessings, sometimes you just don't even think to acknowledge him. Why? Because everything's Kool-Aid. Not a care in the world. Like, I'm just, I'm just living it up. I'm just blessed. Just highly blessed and highly favored. It's fine, God. Go on to see about them. Go on, go on and pass me over and see about them because I'm, I'm doing good, God. I want to read a story to you in John chapter 5. Starting at verse 1, John chapter 5, verse 1, it says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. <clears throat> then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. How long, y'all? 38 years. That was a Selah moment. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made whole? And the sick man answered, it's funny, they called him the sick man. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool. When the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise up, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. This man was in this sick place with sick people, with death and stench of death and bad news. And, oh, you know, Howard died yesterday. Yeah. 
It don't look like Leroy's going to make it either. I mean, like for 38 years. For 38 years, can you imagine or can you see, can you imagine what it's like to be surrounded with bad news? Well, oh, you blind? Oh, I'm blind and I'm dumb. Oh, you can't walk? I have no arms. Oh, you can't talk? I have no eyes. Like everybody was one up and everybody in this place. Everybody was sick. Everybody was lame. Everybody was dying. Everybody had a need. Everybody. For 38 years, he knew this place well. I believe this guy probably had like, stuff set up like that's been there for years like he's probably like this is what I do with my cup my cup goes right here and then I put my pillow over here and then there's a little candle out at nighttime I light it and then at nighttime I just blow three times see like that like 38 years you know how somebody's been in a place for a really long time they have a system of doing things for a long time because they're used, they've been there for a long time. So when the other sick people come, they'll be like, oh, go see the sick man. He'll tell you everything. Okay, what you want to do is you want to put your pillow right there. And see, you just candle, you don't want to put your candle right there because you might, you want to put your candle right there. You see, and then you put the, yeah. Like, he was that guy. He was that guy. And it's interesting because the scripture says that when Jesus went up to him and asked him something that he's probably been praying for 38 years, would you like to be made well? It's interesting that he didn't say yes. For 38 years, you got the same need. I mean, like, it's not like it's like, oh, today I want my mortgage paid. No, it's the same thing. You, you've been wanting the same thing done for 38 years. So when someone asks if you want to be well, you think his initial answer would be yes, but instead he answered about the people. It's people, man. These people that he's been around for 38 years, he probably hated all these people at this point. He was probably the grumpiest guy there. They were like, go ask the sick man, and then after that, move quickly, because he don't want nobody standing next to him. He answered about how the people didn't help him and how these people got in my way. Every time it was time, my time, my turn, my healing, my chance, the people, man, these people would come, not help me or get in my way. Every time it's the people. Proverbs 13 and 12, it says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desires come, it is a tree of life. You think hope deferred makes the heart sick, make, makes you think initially like, oh, you have a broken heart because you, you're just hoping no, it's like your heart is sick, almost like it can no longer contain or hold on to hope. It can no longer hold on to love. It can no longer hold on to joy. Why? Because it's broken. It's literally like, I'm done waiting. I'm done with these sick people all around me in my way. Like, he had gotten to a point, not only was he mad at the people, he was mad that the people wouldn't help him. How many of us does that sound like? We can shake our head at the sick man all day, but guess what? A lot of us are the sick man. A lot of us are being asked by God all the time, what is it that you need? Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be holy? Do you want to be used? Do you want to be promoted? Do you want to do mighty exploits for God's name? And we're saying, man, the people. Man, my dad, man, he did this. My mom was unfit. We broke, man. I don't have any money, and the people won't help me. No one cares. 
that I got stuff that I need and they just walk by me all the time. How many times have we blamed our problem or the root of our problem or why we're not fixed and why we're not helped and why we're not healed and why we're not whole on the people? How many times have we, instead of looking to Jesus, we're looking at the people and we're saying, you are the enemy. You are the problem. Not me. Not my healing. Not what I need. You are. Because you didn't help me. Because you didn't pick me up when I needed to be picked up. Because you didn't help me walk. You Look at me. You know I can't walk, man. Help me. How many times has that been us? That's been me a few times. I've been the sick man. I've blamed some of my reasons why I haven't reached this goal or done this because they didn't help me. They helped her. They didn't help me. And it's interesting because if you read in verse 8, it says, Jesus said to him, even though he had all these excuses, even though he said all this stuff about all those sick people not helping him or getting in his way. In verse 8, it says, Jesus said to him, rise up, take up your bed and walk. He didn't say be healed. He didn't say be whole. He's like, man, get up. I believe he said it like how John says it to Judah, but get, get up. See, JR didn't tell you guys, when we were on that hill at Pina Adobe, Judah had a lot to say, a lot to say. And his dad's answer was more like, get up. You're going to get up this hill. Everybody's tired. Everybody's shot. Everybody's sweating. Everybody, get up. Jesus didn't say, be healed, thou son, be made whole. Legs grow back. He said, get up. Get up out of your excuses. Get up out of your can'ts and they won't and no one helped me. Get up out of that. And you know what we, I see, I see, I see that the healing was in him the whole time. All he had needed to do was get up out of his excuses. And that's so many of us today. Get up. Get up. Stop saying you can't study the word. Stop saying you can't pray. Stop saying you're too weak. Stop saying you don't know enough. Stop saying you don't have enough money. Stop saying you don't have enough excuses. Get up. It's already on the inside of you. All you have to do is what? Get up. There's no place like hope. There's no place like leaning and depending and leaning into God for help, for strength. Get up out of your excuses. It starts there first. For 38 years, he had the same need, but yet his, he hadn't prepared his heart. He hadn't prepared his heart to answer God when God says, what is it that you want? You would think, like, dude, I'm writing it down on my forearm. I'm just waiting for Jesus to, to walk, to be made whole. Yes, I'm ready. You would think he'd be ready. But we see a perfect picture of a heart that was sick. And what happens is what we see is that when a heart is sick, it changes your look on people. He had lost all hope and love for the people. The love, the, the, the hate and the disdain and the bitterness had grown to such a point, but it poured out onto these people. They didn't help me. And then they get in my way. The people. Woe unto us, man and woman of God, when we lose hope and love for people. Woe unto us when our heart is sick and broken and we don't know how to contain hope and love. Woe unto us. When we don't prepare our hearts for the need and prepare our hearts in the blessings. Woe unto us when we don't know how to steer and guard our hearts in all seasons. 
Like I said, I don't know what's going on with these notes. But in John chapter 5, verse 14, what's interesting also that I noticed is that everybody was mad at him. The religious leaders were mad at him because he was healed on the Sabbath. So when they saw him walking, they knew, wait a minute, that's the sick man. What? That's the sick man with all the permanent, like, with a little permanent palate. Like, why is he walking around? And they were upset with him because it was the Sabbath. And it's funny because they, pro they probably stopped him like, hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, sick Larry. What's going well, hold, hold on, man. Hold on, sick Larry. Um, what, what's going on? He's like, I'm healed. Who healed you? He's like, I don't, I don't know. Some man. He said, I don't know. He's like, I don't know. Some man. It's interesting that you have a need for 38 years and you've been praying and waiting for the angel of the Lord to come and deliver the healing for you. And then when God shows up, you completely miss it. For 38 years, you've been waiting for God to come through for you. He comes and you miss it. Who healed you? I don't know. Who brought you out? I don't know. Hey, man, so tell me, what's your success story? How'd you get here? Uh, you know, hard work, stay in, kids, stay in school, kids. I don't know. <laughs> wow, though, wow. When my 18-month daughter woke up that next day from me pray, praying and crying out in that chapel, and I seen life in her eyes, I knew it was Jesus. Yeah. It was Jesus. I knew without a shadow of a doubt. I, I refuse to be the man at the pool of Bethesda that don't even know who touched him, that don't even know who made him whole, that don't even know who plucked him out of death's hand. It was Jesus. Jesus, the God of God. He healed me. How many of us miss it? How many of us has come out of stuff we shouldn't have came out of, man? How many of us have our minds still intact and we should be a little bit crazy and don't even acknowledge that it was Jesus? John chapter 5, 14. Look, afterwards, Jesus found him. He didn't find Jesus. Afterwards, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon thee. Listen, he wasn't even looking for the man. That healed him. Jesus came looking for him. Jesus came and he, and he found him. And you know what? I'm glad to hear that he was in the temple. Maybe he was like, Lord, I don't know what just happened. Uh, I don't know who that was. I mean, may, that's, I'm, I'm just going to imagine that because hopefully he was doing that. But Jesus came and found him. And then he looked at you like, oh, yeah, you're the, yeah, yeah, you're the guy. Here's the guy. It's, right, it's him. It's him right here. He did it. He healed, he healed me. But the thing is that I would hate for us to miss who touched us, who healed us, who plucked us out, who delivered our family, who kept my marriage together, who saved my baby, who brought me this far. I would hate to miss that it was Jesus. James chapter 1, 4 through 5, it says, My brother, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, it worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work. I just feel like I needed to re read that again because some of you, as I close, some of you may be standing in a place of hope. Maybe some of you are standing in a place of, I've been praying for the same prayer 
for 20 years, for 30 years. I've been praying for a husband. I've been praying for a wife. I've been praying to be made whole or healed from this illness. I've been praying for this. I've been praying for my sister. I've been praying for my, for my husband to come to the Lord. I've been praying for this. I've been praying for that. But I want to tell you there's no place like hope. There's no place to clinging to the hope that you have that Jesus can do it. I don't care what they say about how hard it is or how impossible it is. There's no place like hoping when you hope in Jesus. There's nothing like the nearness of God when you feel alone. When you feel like nobody else can help me. Nobody else can do this. I've talked to my mom about this. I've talked to my dad about this. They got nothing. God, it's only you. There's no place like standing in a place of hope like that. Because why? Because you know him. The fellowship of his suffering. Make being conformed into his image. There's nothing like getting close to God in those hard times. Almost like Paul and Silas, how they sat in that jail cell. There was probably no one more closer than Paul and Silas because they sought God together in a dark, in a deep, in a desolate place. There's nothing like hoping in God. Why? Because you learn his voice. You learn, he cares for me. He heard me crying out for my daughter when she was eight. He heard me and he cared. He moved swiftly on our behalf. The next morning, every, I'm telling you, it's miraculous to this day. They don't even know how the infection in her lungs cleared up. They said it's empty. And I said, like the tomb. Oh, man, y'all don't know. God can touch you and heal you, and you can encounter him in a way you'll never be the same. Listen, this, this man by the pool of Bethesda, I don't know what he did after this. I don't know if he got married and his whole house lived for Jesus. I don't know if he became a great pastor. Maybe he rubbed shoulders with John the Baptist. I don't know. I don't know what he did. But you know what I know? I think Jesus had hope in him. Jesus showed hope in this man. He didn't say, pray to me, say you believe in me, and I'll heal you. He didn't say, say you love me, and I'll heal you. He didn't say, say you'll come to my church, and I'll heal you. He didn't. He just, Jesus showed forth hope first. He says, you know what? I think enough about your life. That I don't care. I want you to choose ye this day who you will serve. Blessings or curses. I want you to choose. But you know what? I'm going to have hope that you'll always remember this encounter. As pastors, we come across a lot of people with a lot of needs. There are people that will come to this church and say, hi, I, 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 need you to, I need you to talk to my son. He's a knucklehead. And he needs to know Jesus. And we'll say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll pray with your son. We'll, and then son's doing great. He's off drugs. He's doing great. Woo, yeah, bye. Where are they? Let me see. Are they here? Oh, they're not here. Okay. Someone will come and say, you know, I'm really sick. Got this going on in my body. Can you please pray, pastor? Anoint me with oil. Yes, 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 we'll do that. We pray for them. We tarry with them. We intercede. We call out in the name of the Lord. He's a healer. And they say, "Whoa, I'm healed. Are they here? No, they're not here. Okay. There's people that will come and say, our marriage is falling apart. Can you help us? We'll say, yeah, we'll, we'll help you. Come on, we'll, 
We'll spend our Saturdays. Kids, hold on, kids, hold on. We're gonna, we're just gonna meet with them, okay? We'll be right back. Okay, come on, kids. Okay, yeah, I know. I promise. I'll take you to the park after that. Just let mommy and daddy pray with this couple. We're gonna meet with them. And we're gonna talk to them, and we talk to them. And can, can we meet again next next week, Pastor? Okay, just one more week, okay? Because our, our kids are over here. Okay, and then woo! Marriage is doing great. Let me see. Are they here? No, they're not here. Because what happens is, a lot of times when we encounter Jesus. Just like the man at the pool of Bethesda. Who healed you? I don't know. Who helped you? I don't know. Who did it? I don't know. What happened to the hope? But that shouldn't change our hearts. We still hope in people. Even though people don't think enough of Jesus or this church or this leadership, that they lay down their life for them time after time after time again, and then they get to this place of abundance, they get to this place of reaping the promise, and they're just gone. But woe unto the world if the church's heart grows sick. Woe unto the world if pastors' hearts grow sick because they're tired of hoping in people that don't even hope enough in Jesus or in them. Woe unto a world and a generation where the church is supposed to be the hope and the light of the world. But woe unto the world if this church loses hope in people. I hope that won't be you today. Though no matter if they turn and say, hey, I, thank you. Thank you for ushering God into my life. Thank you for praying with me. Thank you for grabbing my hand and sitting with me and discipling me. Even if they don't, don't you lose hope in this world. Because the same way Jesus had hope that they're going to turn around they're going to do something to glorify God, we have to have that same hope. Matthew 5 and 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That light is hope. This world is a hopeless world. They don't have no hope. They're like, if, once I die, I die. I don't know, I might become a tree. I'm not sure. I might, maybe I'll become an apple. I don't know. They have no hope. So if we have no hope to give, woe unto this world. Jesus left hoping that we would keep our light on, hoping that we would continue to love, hoping that we would still think enough about his people, his church, his bride, to say, God, I'm going to keep my light on. I'm going to keep believing. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep doing what you told me to do. God, why? Because when I encountered you, in that broken place, in the hood, I declared that my heart would not be moved. I declared that my heart would still contain you. Whether I'm abounding in blessings or whether I'm struggling in lack, I declare that my heart will not be moved because there's no place like hope. I declare that whether I win the lottery today and I'm rolling in the cash or whether I lose everything and everybody, there's no place like hope. I declare then my heart will be stand steadfast for Jesus. I won't be moved. The enemy can't use blessings as bait for me. I will be steadfast on the path and the trail that Jesus left for me to follow. John 13, 34 through 35, it says, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It's like Jesus gave like a little bit of instruction and direction on how to get to his people. 
You know how you go to the back roads of Mississippi or something, and they'll say, yeah, go two streets down. You see a red truck, make a left. And then once you see a white truck, make a right. That's you, you've arrived. And Jesus says, you'll know them by their what? By their love. Once you feel their love, once you encounter the love, that's my people. Once you get to the building and you get hugged 50 million times and someone says hello or I love you 50 million times, yeah, 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 you, you made it. You found the building. Once you find out people are, say, are trying to invest in you, hey, you want to come out to lunch? You want to have coffee with me? Hey, I want to know more about you. I want to know your story. Yeah, that's the building. You'll know them. That's the love that my people have. Why? Because they refuse to turn their light off. They refuse to stop hoping, not just in themselves for God to do something in them, but they refuse to stop hoping for people. Because a lot of times we think it's important to just keep our hope on for Jesus. Keep your hope on for people. If you feel like you don't have enough time for people, you don't have enough patience, I'm on my last thread. What is it? They work on my last nerve. If you're on your last nerve for people, you're going to have to renew your hope in Jesus. Because we got to keep our love on for Jesus. Because God says that you'll know them when you see their love. So if you're a stone-cold killer, baby, you need to try again. Love. Love. Amen. That's all the time we have for this episode of the Annex Podcast. But we encourage you to get connected with us by downloading and using our TBCF app today. Or you can visit our website at tbcf.life. That's tbcf.life. Until next time, thanks for stopping by to the Annex Podcast.